0: You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured Sermon of the Week. Well, it it is exciting times. I love the Christmas season. I love a lot of things about the Christmas Eve. I love all the stuff that we get to do as a family. But there is one thing I have to confess that I despise. I will even use the word hate in some ways. And I know that's a strong word. But I have to say, particularly around this time of year, there are, um, shall I say, stories that get out. And they seem kind of repetitive. In fact, if you go to a certain network, uh, you uh, you can... (laughs) I think I've hit a, 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 okay, wow, we've already seen a division in this place. You can see many of them seem to look and act the same, and I want to turn your attention to the screens here uh, and welcome you to the Hallmark Channel. Uh, Some of you, I mean, it's literally the same cover, just with this. I think they're cloned people there. Now, I, I will have to say I was introduced by this on a, on a family vacation. Uh, I think my mother-in-law my sister-in-law turned on the Hallmark Channel at some point. It was around Thanksgiving. I don't think it ever went off. I think it day and night, night and day, it just continued. And honestly, I promise you, you could step in the room any random time and figure out what was going on. It was just, okay, what other white man is talking to a white woman from another place? So I said, well, what about the brown and black people that are, where are they represented? And I found the same kind of movie for you. The Medea Christmas and anything with George Lopez in it. (laughs) Now, I will say, Mario Lopez, listen to this. You want to go, here we go. Mario Lopez, a brown-skinned man, had also been in a Hallmark movie that was filmed in Colombia. So... It don't matter what color skin, it's the same thing. Some woman from some small town gets to a big city, makes a big thing about herself, comes back in. I hate, I'm going to say it again, I hate you. Why? You know why? Because you know exactly where we're going. You know what's going to happen. Now, might I present to you what I believe is a better use of your time is movies that you have no clue. You can put them up there, Luke. I'm going to show you two of my favorites. I literally walked out of the theater after watching these movies. Totally different clientele. You could tell. Hallmark movies. They're not watching any. Yeah, yeah, these are the people that we want to build our church with. Um... (laughs) Hallmark Channel, you can go visit Tony at Church of the City. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Tony's with me. We're paisans. Anyway, the point is, these movies I walked out of the theater going, what is life? Am I really here qu- questioning my existence? Now you say, why would you want to do that? Because I love movies that you have to deep dive into. I call my brother. Brother, what did you say? Well, watch this YouTube video. I had to watch Tenet at least four times. I still don't know. really know what's going on. The point of it is, I want to know. I want to see the intentionality, the movie riveted all throughout the, the, the storyline. From the beginning to the end, you go, wow, that makes sense now. That makes sense here. And that's the kind of story that you hold in your hand called the Bible. How do you like that segue? Come on now. The point of it is, I've never, ever, ever, ever had a book in my hand that has so much intentional plot line like the Bible. There is no other book in the world that was written by this many authors over this long of a time period that comes together this geniusly. It's because it was breathed by the Holy Spirit. The depth to which God went to complete the greatest restoration, salvation plan is endless. This today, this message today is to remind you, say remind, remind you how great Jesus is. Not just Jesus in the manger, because we all love Jesus in the manger. He's in the manger right now. But how about Jesus on the cross? How about Jesus as the boss? How about Jesus in everything he did? So I titled the message, interestingly enough, Jesus, he is who he said, who they said he is. Jesus, he is who they said he is. Turn to somebody and say, he is who they said he is. If you're a sports fan, he's him. He's the goat. Not, not LeBron who won some cheesy little in-tournament thing. Pfft. He's the GOAT. Some of you are like, is God's a GOAT? The greatest of all time. So just to help all of you that are struggling with that. This is the greatest storyline that carries over for centuries. Jesus was so intentional that he split time. He split history. BCAD. Remember those things? B.C. What does that stand for? Before Christ. Before he was born. And A.D.? What is it, Sandy? Come on now, look at that. I, someone said, after death. No, that's a, that's a chief version of in the year of our Lord. When Jesus was born, he split history. And from this point on, we judge our historical calendar through the birth of Jesus. No other person like that. More importantly, he's not only an intentional plan, but more importantly, he was the plan. I always think of it about God up in heaven when Adam and Eve did their crazy stuff. I think God just turned to Jesus and said, you ready to do this? And all throughout the Old Testament, they intertwined remnants of who Jesus is. Proverbs 19, 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Listen, I'm about to, talk, to take you on a biblical treasure hunt. We are going to go through Scripture at fast pace, and I'm going to show you that Jesus is not just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but he is significantly intertwined throughout the whole Bible. That he's not only at Christmas time, but he's also in January. <laughs> You're gonna call out to him when you gotta pay those bills. January, Jesus, help me. Three today, say three. Three significant ways Jesus is who they said he is. Number one, Jesus fulfills the prophecies. I mean, there is no, there is no way, some theologians believe that there are five hundred and seventy-four prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Some conservatively will say 300. It don't matter where you land. You can't find one person that would live out 300 things about them that they never even knew, that were centuries before he was even born. Fulfilled everyone to a T. I'm going to give you nine, nine prophecies from the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled just in his birth. Are you ready? Okay, that's good. Thank you, Josh. Josh is the only one that's ready, and he's on staff. Anyway, the rest of you, let's... Let's try to go here. Number one, Jesus will come from the line of Abraham. The Old Testament, Genesis, it was prophesied in Genesis 12 that God spoke to Abraham and said, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. And Matthew 1, the very beginning of the New Testament, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, he was the son of David and what? The son of Abraham. He already is in the proper lineage. Number two, Jesus' mother will be a virgin. How can that happen, God? Can you imagine Isaiah saying this? Like Listen, if you ever look at the Old Testament prophets, they caught a lot of slack. They also said a lot of crazy things. But can you imagine Isaiah if he got the opportunity thousands of years later to come back and say, hey, I was right. Remember that? (laughs) Yeah, because he said, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. So what does God do? Matthew 1. It says this, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, I ain't going to tell you what that means, but I think you know what it means. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was fulfilled in the birth through his mother, a virgin. Number three, Jesus will be born in the town of Bethlehem. Micah 5 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, but you shall come forth a ruler in Israel. But Luke 2, guess what happens? Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called what? He was absolutely fulfilling the prophecy by being registered in the town that he needed to go back to. Come on, God even found the right dad for this guy. Come on, number four, Jesus will be called out of Egypt Hosea 11:1 says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. How is he going to come from Bethlehem and now from Egypt? Oh, good news. Matthew 2 fulfilled that prophecy. It says in those days, Herod was killing young babies, trying to kill the Messiah. But guess what? His, the Lord came to Joseph and said, rise and take the child and his mother to where? Flee to Egypt. And it said, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. He came back from Egypt when Herod was dead. Number five, Jesus will be a member of the tribe of Judah. Oh, now it's getting specific now. He's going to be from a certain tribe. Guess what? God says, Check that off. Genesis forty nine ten says, the scepter of royalty shall not depart from Judah, from the line of Judah out of the twelve tribes. Guess what? Luke 3, it talks about Jesus. He said, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. He even checked off the tribe Jesus came from. Number six, can anybody say amen? Because I'm preaching right now. Jesus will be from the lineage of King David. Jeremiah 23, 5, I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Matthew the very first verse of the New Testament, says Jesus, what? The son of David. Number seven, Jesus' birth will be accompanied with great suffering and sorrow. How is this going to happen? How are you going to bring the son of God, the son of man, into the earth and His sorrow? Well, guess what? In Jeremiah 31, 15, it says, Rachel is weeping for her children. In Matthew 2, verse 16, Herod's killing the firstborn, all the male children. Jesus was born during a time of great suffering and sorrow. sorrow number eight jesus would be worshiped by shepherds psalm 72 9 look what it says many desert tribes will bow down before him and his enemies will lick the dust have you ever said that to your enemies lick the dust luke says that on the court every time when he's dunking on people lick the dust I said that for you, brother. You're welcome. Luke 2 fulfilled it. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks. And what so happens, an angel comes before them and he shows the glory of the Lord and they were filled with great fear. Check that off the list. God showed his glory to shepherds. Then it says Jesus would be worshiped and presented gifts by kings. Psalm 72.10. These kings bring him gifts. But Matthew 2.11, what is the opportunity, the odds that he would be acknowledged by shepherds and by kings? It says that the child, the magi, they came to him and offering their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh these are just nine ways God fulfilled the prophecy through his son Jesus. Nine intentional ways down to the T. You can't find shepherds and kings in the same spot, but he brought them all to visit Jesus when he was just a young baby. Look, gold, the three things, you know what they represent? Number one, gold represents royalty. His his kingship, it was a gift of wealth. Frankincense, that represents the priestly, priestly role of Jesus because it was used in the temple. And myrrh, Myrrh foreshadows to his death. Why? Because that was a burial spice. In fact, while he was on the cross, Mark says this in chapter 15, verse 23. They offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Can we thank the Lord that he fulfills the prophecies about himself? Can you just say thank you, Jesus, right now that he fulfills every... Ah. Let's keep going. Jesus, number two, fulfills the priestly role. I like this one, because this is virtually impossible that one man could do all these things. There was a tabernacle described to Moses by God in Exodus 26, 27, and 28. And it was completely designed by God. Every measurement, every tool, every ingredient used in the temple was specifically given to Moses by God. Now, I want to give you some background on why this thing was significant. Number one, it was portable. Why? Because they were wandering the desert. You remember the Israelites that were disobedient to enter into the promised land? They doubted that God could fulfill that. So they needed a place to worship. So God gives Moses all the measurements, all the ingredients, all the furniture to build a place where his presence could abide. This place was portable. It was set up in the desert, and all the tribes of Israel would surround it. In fact, they wouldn't camp around it, and they would direct their focus to the presence of God. Now, here's the interesting thing about it: there were three sections to it. Some of you know this. Go, Luke, just go to the next slide, if you would. You can see, actually see a replica of this in Israel. If you have ever been to Israel in the desert, they they replicated this, and by measurement and by material as best they could, and you can actually see this and walk through it. Go back to the other slide, if you would, Luke. I want to show you now what'll happen as you walk into the first part, which is the outer court you would bring your sacrifice you'd bring a blameless spotless lamb and you'd bring it to the priest and they would sacrifice it on the outer court there was a offering place and then there was a place where you would get the priest would get cleansed clean to enter into the second section which is the holy place the holy place or the inner court and the inner court I'm sorry the outer court no the inner court I'm getting ahead of myself the inner court was a place where they would have 3 pieces of furniture, the table, the lampstand, and the altar. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. And separating the inner court from the Holy of Holies was a, a, a veil, a veil that went across, and only one time a year, by one person, the high priest, he could go in on Yom Kippur. He would go on the Day of Atonement, and he'd go into this Holy of Holies. There was the Ark of the Covenant, and he would sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins for the whole year as an atonement. This was portable. It was designed by God so that God could inhabit his people and his people could experience his presence. Now, the interesting thing about it is Jesus fulfills everything in it. Now, Solomon comes along in 1 Kings 6. He creates the temple. Of course, Solomon, with all his grandeur, doubles everything, makes it even more exquisite. But the tabernacle was an exact design by God. Let's go into the outer courts if we could. Look, I want you to get to that altar. I want to show you this altar here. This is where the priest would take the lamb that you gave him, and he would sacrifice the lamb, and he would put the blood on the horns. You could see the four horns, the four points, and he would burn the sacrifice. The blood would drip on the coals, And this was a place where a blameless lamb would be sacrificed for the sins of people. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is the lamb that was slain, that was sacrificed for people. Jesus took on the altar. Let's go to the next one to the brazen labor, a place where the priest would wash his hands after he had sacrificed the lamb. He would wash himself. He would get himself clean before he walked into the inner courts. This was a place of cleansing a place of sanctification. Let me say this to you. Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 26 says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by what? The washing of water through the word that he might sanctify her. Jesus washes you by the power of the word and sanctifies you. So he checked off the brazen labor. Let's go into the inner courts, the holy place. The first item you would see would be this. This candlestick this golden candlestick and i don't know if you know this but in john 8:12 jesus said i am the light of the world. You know, that candlestick would bring light into the inner court so that people could see, the priest could see what they needed to do. But Jesus said, let me check off the candlestick. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Come on now, the table of showbread right behind that is a place where you would see 12 unleavened loaves of bread. Those 12 loaves represented 12 tribes. And I don't know if you know this, but God says something about, Bread and his son as well. In John 6, 32 says, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to, her, to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, what does he say? I am the bread of life. Come on. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Oh, by the way, how did they drink? There's two cups there filled with wine mixed with frankincense. That's a foreshadowing what Jesus does later on at Passover when he takes the bread and the wine and he says, this represents me. Jesus checked off the table of showbread. How about that altar of incense? It said day and night, night and day, incense would arise. The sacrifice, they would smell the incense. It was a specially formulated incense that would be on the altar that would remind people that these things were going up, the priests were sacrificing, and their sins were being forgiven. Psalms 141 2 says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice God says now that your prayers and your worship is like sweet smelling incense to me. I smell your prayers. I smell your worship in heaven. I know when you're worshiping me, I can tell there's something on the altar of significance. Ephesians 5 verse 1 through 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. What? What? A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. 2 Corinthians 2 says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal possessions. Through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Did you know that you are an aroma of God? Yeah. Let, let, let me even take it a step further. The coal. Go back again to that altar, if you would, Luke. That coal, the, go back to the other altar where they would, there it is. They would put the coals from the altar in the outer courts that were dripped with the blood of the sacrifice. They would bring those coals and they would put them in the altar of incense. So let me say it this way. Your prayers and your praise have been activated by the blood of Jesus because your prayers are just words and your praise are just songs. But when the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of the spotless lamb comes and heats them up, it creates the power for jesus and it creates the power behind what we do let's go in the holy of holies if we would this is where the presence of god dwelled once a year on yom kippur like i said the priest would enter in for the day of atonement it's the holiest day on the calendar and there was this this curtain that separated the holy of holies and this curtain was separated. Put the curtain back up if you would, Luke. I want to show them the curtain. This curtain, it was separating the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus was nailed to the cross and when his life passed from him, it said, and behold, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks were split. When he died, he, listen, it's significant that the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom because it wasn't man doing something for God. God said, no longer will I be separated from you by a curtain. No longer will one person, one day a year, come into my presence. But because... Because my son was sacrificed for you, you no longer have to go through an intermediary, but you can now freely come into the Holy of Holies, and I myself will rip the curtain in two. Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Jesus did that for us. It gets even gooder. Come on, turn to somebody that says, This is getting gooder. I'm telling you right now, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was representing the presence of God, and this was portable. So they would put it on their shoulders. The priests would walk through battle. They wouldn't come out with the biggest guns, their baddest dudes, their sharpest knives. I know they didn't have guns back then. Some of you are like, oh, that doesn't make sense. The point of it is they would lead their armies out with the Ark of the Presence of God. And so when people saw that, they started realizing every time the Israelites step on the field of battle and they got that stinking Ark thing, we always get our butts kicked. Why? Because the presence of God went before them. Yeah. But they would house it in the Holy of Holies. And here's the thing. There were three items in the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus, listen to me, fulfilled all three. Number one, there was the Ten Commandments. Did you know Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I have not come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. Jesus fulfilled the law. Check that off. Number two, Aaron's rod that budded. This was Aaron. He, was, he had a rod, a stick that the power of the God came upon him and the rod itself budded and started bearing forth almonds. It was a dead piece of wood and it started to live. They put it into the Ark of the Covenant and that represents the miracle power that Jesus lives with. Not only that, that he lived with it, but it says in Acts 1.8, but I, you, turn to somebody next to you and say you, 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 you will receive the power come on when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and that stick although it was dead it came back to life sounds a lot like my Savior although he may have been dead in the grave he came back to life come on now that's number two number three there were pieces of manna in the Ark of the Covenant manna came down from heaven every day God supplied bread for his people nourishment for his people it was a constant reminder that I will provide for you in fact if you took your manna and you tried to store it in your Yeti cooler it would go bad you couldn't store your manna for tomorrow you had to trust god to be your daily bread well guess what A ph- philippians 4 19 says and my god shall what supply. come on oh, come on keep saying it oh, in christ jesus that was really bad that wasn't together and my god shall supply what oh. all according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So not only did Jesus fulfill the law, not only does Jesus live with power, but Jesus provides all your needs, and he is, by the way, the bread of life. Now go back to that ark. I want to show you on the top of the ark of the covenant. That is called the mercy seat. Those angels, their wings cover it. And the the priest, the high priest would come and he would sacrifice a bull and he would drip and sprinkle the blood onto the mercy seat once a year. But guess what? In Hebrews 4, this is what it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet, he did not sin. So let us approach what? God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. That veil was torn. You now have been welcomed in. You can approach the throne of grace with mercy because He took care of the mercy seat look in mark 16 19 so then the lord jesus as he has spoken these things he was taken up to heaven and what sat down at the right hand of god he is in a position of authority he's no longer down on earth he's in heaven ruling and reigning and he loves you and he cares about you and he's for you he's forever making intercession about you he's manly in love with you come on jesus you can give him glory jesus is the high priest Jesus is the high priest. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. No longer do you have a dude like that, but you have a Savior in heaven. Let me read Hebrews 8. I want you to hear it now through a fresh lens, understanding what God did when it comes to the tabernacle. Hebrews 8, verse 1. Now the point in which we're saying is this. We have such a great high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent. Look at that. In the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, He would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy, a shadow of heavenly things. See, God said, you're serving a shadow. It's a foreshadowing of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on a better promise. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Jesus fulfilled a faultless thing. He broke the curse over your life. He fulfilled the law. He checked off every box needed so that you no longer have to set up an altar. You no longer have to find a lamb to cover your sins because he is the lamb that was slain. John 1:14 says, "And the word became flesh and dwelt among us." Let me share with you what the word dwelt means in the Hebrew. It means to live or camp in a tent or tabernacle. Thank you for get- Listen, I'm going to preach to the two people that are saying... Th- Here's the deal. Even in the Greek verbiage, he checks off the tent and the tabernacle he says that i am going to dwell among you you don't have to set up a tent or an altar in your backyard to get to me anymore look at this in revelations 21 john sees the future and he sees a new jerusalem and he says this i saw no temple in the city for its temple is the lord god the almighty and the lamb can we thank the lord that he served and fulfilled every priestly role He checked it off. Turn to somebody next to you and say, he checked it off. Whew. Number three, Jesus fulfills the Passover. Let me talk to you about the Passover for a moment because this was a desperate time. The Israelites were were, were imprisoned by the Egyptians. They were slaves to the Egyptians. And God sends Moses, this flawed man, coward in some ways, And he has him go before Pharaoh, and he presents these these plagues, like, let my people go, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I'm not. And finally, God had enough. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the destroyer into the camp. And every house that does not have the blood of the lamb on its doorpost, the destroyer will come into and kill the firstborn son. And so the only hope that these Israelites had were to find this blameless lamb and to take, this lamb and slay it and cut its neck and drain the blood and put the blood on the doorpost. But let me show you this next slide here. Jesus, this is what it says, he fulfilled that. John the Baptist, when he sees his cousin, he says this, of all verbiage to use, he says the next day he saw Jesus coming and he said, behold, what? The lamb of God who takes away He could have used any, hey, behold my cousin. Behold a really good dude. Behold a, a man of power. He said a lamb of God. Let me say this to you. Five days before Passover, the Israelites would bring the lamb into their house. They would select a lamb that was perfect and blameless and they would live with the lamb for five days and on that fifth day, they would kill it. Historians now have done the research to say that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem We call that Palm Sunday. When he rode into Jerusalem, he actually rode on the fifth day before Pentecost. The lamb came into Jerusalem five days and lived among them before he was slaughtered. Let's talk about the doorpost. Let's put that up there if you would, Luke. This is where the Israelites would put the blood. It said, put it on the top. And the sides, and as you can imagine, the blood, it would be all over the top. It would drip down. It would, it would be saturated on the doorpost and the destroyer would see that. Now here's the interesting thing about it. There was nothing the people inside of the house could do to protect themselves. It was the blood of the lamb. It was nothing inside. The people couldn't earn it. They couldn't do anything but just live there in peace knowing that the blood protected whoever was inside. Now let me show you the next slide because that looks very much like my Savior where he was pierced and he was nailed and he had a crown of thorns on his top of his head and his, his wrists were nailed to the cross where blood would have flowed and by his feet, nails were put in. The blood of the lamb that was put on the door doorposts did the same thing on the cross and no longer do you have to kill a lamb some of you I would never you would not have to kill a lamb to put it on your doorpost all you know is Jesus was on the cross and fulfilled it all in his name he's so good (laughs) even the positioning come on man you can't make this up this is no hallmark movie bro I'm telling you right now (laughs) Passover meal Some of you had a Passover meal. It's called a Seder dinner. And the Passover meal has all different elements. I want to highlight two of them. Number one, there's the three pieces of unleavened bread called matzah. And they would eat these three pieces of unleavened bread. And it's interesting that there were three. I don't know if you know what three could symbolize. Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By the way, they take the middle piece, the Son, and they break it. And the father will break it in half. He'll take a half of the piece and he'll wrap it in cloth and he'll hide it. And the day after the Sabbath, the child will go and find the hidden piece of bread, unravel it and say, I found it and wave it. Sounds a lot like my Savior, Jesus, whose body was broken who was put into a tomb, the day after the Sabbath, he rose again. And what happened when the women saw that he was no longer there? He's risen. He's no longer here. Come on, they found the cloths that were wrapped in, he's no longer here. Come on now. He even went in those cups right there, those four cups of wine. It says that they're each representing certain things. The third cup is the cup of redemption and it's the cup that Jesus used in communion. Jesus took care of Passover. Can we thank the Lord that no longer do we have to worry about what we have to do to protect us? But now Jesus is the Passover lamb. He has covered your door. Come on now. He's covered you from the destroyer. This is the story of Christmas and Easter and everything in between. Jesus is not only the reason for the season, but he's the reason why we have hope. If God is this intentional, what can he do with a life yielded to him? Everything we go through, good or bad, can be turned around for good. And even the good things... They pale in comparison to what God can do. He can make good things great. He is not a mediocre God. He's not a God of happenstance. This couldn't possibly happen by chance. This Bible couldn't have been written just with a few people. It was written over centuries, and Jesus fulfilled every prophecy. You are not an accident. You are not happenstance. You didn't just stumble across. God didn't forget about you. If he's this intentional with his plan, how much more plans does he have for you? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's. Come on, he knows the plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope, and God is not concerned with your timeline. Think about this for a moment. Think how many thousands of years took place for Jesus to fulfill the very thing that Adam and Eve messed up to the detail. Literally nothing can stop the plan of God. Did you know that? I'll give you some characters in the Bible. The Egyptians tried. They enslaved the people of God. Guess what? They couldn't stop God's plans. The Philistines tried all the other Aites in the promised land tried couldn't stop the plans of God. Babylon tried. Rome tried. They cannot stop the plans. The devil cannot stop the plans of God. What is happening in the world today? Let me say this. You really think, Christians, do you really think, Christ followers, that Russia or China or Hamas or Islam or a political system or the woke mob or the people gunning for your job at work or the bully in the hallways at school or even your mother-in-law, do you think they can stop the plans? I love my mother in law. I'm not talking about her, but anything, nothing can stop the plans of God. Nothing can stop the plan. For some of you, you're so wrapped up in what's happening around the world. But how many know that when everything was going wrong, God still had a plan? <sighs> Somebody needs to hear this today because there's nothing Hallmark movie like God's plans. Some of you want a, you want, you want a story that you can, you can unfold and know, but that's not faith. Faith means that I trust God even when I don't see what's happening. Faith means I trust Him over my circumstances. Proverbs nineteen twenty one. again, it says this, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Today, we thank you for your plans, Jesus. Can you just say the name of Jesus? Can you say one more time? Say Jesus. Don't be afraid of his name. Heaven and earth, all creation shouts his praise. Whether people like it or not, there will be a day, one day, well, they'll stand before their creator. And they'll have to give an account for what they did with their life. And may our only recourse is to be, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. There's nothing I could do on my own. I couldn't earn it on my own. I couldn't live blameless. I couldn't sacrifice enough. But it's the blood of Jesus that covers me. I'm so thankful for the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.